This is Vic from your friendly neighborhood show. Chew on this, a Nerd United podcast. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow us and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Facebook, it's at Chew on This Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Chew on This Pod. We're active on all three social media sites. And it's not just podcast episode announcements, but it's also memes nerd news, and any special events the show might be at. Now light some candles, pour a glass of wine, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Chew on This, a Nerds United podcast, episode 246. And today we have a special guest, Dominic Pace, from a numerous amount of roles. Um, if you had tuned in on Saturday, now you're going to get the full, the full interview. And if you did, and if you missed us, um, I'll just go over some, some things that, uh, a little background on Dominic here. Um, really quickly, his first acting gig was on SNL, NYPD Blue. He was on NCIS, Desperate Housewives. He's worked on one of my favorite, uh, actor shows, David Boreanaz in, in Angels and Bones. He was in one of my, he's in one of my current favorite shows, Superstore. Uh, I think he was on season two on that one twice, which he should have been on more because I really liked hearing his East Coast accent on a show that was, I think they're in Missouri or somewhere in like the Midwest. Um, but most famously right now, most currently, he plays the bounty hunter Gecko on The Mandalorian. Welcome to the show, Dominic Pace. Thank you so much for having me. Hello to all your listeners and I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Yeah, um, I, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy what's going on, but, you know, things like this hopefully will bring a little joy to people's lives. Um, and I also know that you're left-handed. We talked about that briefly and you're from the East coast too. Did you have, um, did you, I don't know, uh, where you were in New York, did they have pork roll or is that, is that too far? Uh, were you too hmm. far into New York there or would they call the Taylor ham where you are? Interesting. Uh, no, I, I don't recall that I was Westchester County. So I was called the Italian light, you know, a lot of <laughs> in Jersey and Brooklyn and Queens, that's when you've got the real full concentrated East Coast Italian. So I, I was a little bit more north to where, you know, we were kind of the uh, the third generation to, you know, where they kind of expanded. A lot of Italians, of course, moved out to the suburbs in Jersey and, and Westchester County. But I grew up in a town called Ossining, New York. And it's funny, you talk about St. Louis, they actually had a migration of Italians out there. Yogi Berra, Joe Gargiola, two uh, legendary baseball players uh, were out there. And uh, yeah, I, with season two, I was so frustrated with Superstore. Unfortunately, I had to do a movie in Spain. They wanted me for a third episode, but I, w I only had a couple of days of this week that they were filming available. And unfortunately, you know, when you're not that big of a star name, they're going to they're gonna move on, uh, unfortunately. So that, that unfortunately was the... Uh, demise of that but at the same time i was just happy to be a part of that cast briefly there right yeah i mean i, I like i said before I, I really enjoyed um what you did there it was really cool and it, both both scenes that you were in were really funny yeah. um I, I i 
and you were in one of the more emotional episodes too with uh, yeah. uh, Mateo leaving. Um, Absolutely, Nico Santos. Yeah, yeah. amazing guy over there. Yeah, it, it was just a dream to be part of. Uh, obviously, such a great comedy, such a diverse cast. Of course, um, happy to mention though, I've got a fun guest star coming. Uh, another comedy, April eighteenth. There's a spinoff of Henry Danger from Nickelodeon. It's a new show called Danger Force, and uh, I'm guest starring on that. Uh, and that will be eight, April 18th. I think it premieres March 28th. So that'll be something a little bit fun for people to get kind of through these times along with the children as well there. So I was really happy to be a part of that there uh, a couple of weeks ago we filmed it. Oh, nice. That's really good. Um, hopefully uh, everybody goes and, and, and checks that out. Um, so let's let's get right into the interview here. I, I read, you know, because we always call it Internet Stalking, and I read somewhere where your first uh, acting bug – happened when you um you uh, played Danny Zuko in your high school production of Grease. That's correct. Yeah, I was 16 years old. My mother used to play a lot of musical records. We'd have chores all through the house, my sister and I. And of course, West Side Story, Grease. Uh, we listened to a lot of old Rodgers and Hammerstein, but Grease always stuck out because it was kind of that cool thing to, to enjoy, you know, when you're a teenager, even if whether you like musicals, whether you're kind of into theater or not. But being a, you know, a six foot one Italian American, uh, actually having hair at the time, uh, I was just ripe for the picking at 16 years old to play that role. My high school auditorium that were packed with a thousand people screaming and shouting. And I never felt any, I, anything more gratifying in my life. I, at that time, I loved uh, baseball. I, I was a, a, a pitcher. It was no better feeling than striking somebody out. But little by little, I started feeling a little bit of uh, wear and tear on the arm and knew that unless you're throwing 95 miles an hour, the dream essentially wasn't going to happen. So started. I went to college for one year, Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. I started doing cattle calls. Normally that would discourage any actor in terms of just the fact of how difficult it was, along with all the odd jobs that you have to do from time to time in order to make ends meet. But for me, it's just always been just a, a tremendous adrenaline rush, a, a beautiful challenge in that I never expected Hollywood to hand me anything. I never expected New York City to hand me any, anything. But all those credits you see on IMDb, they were earned with blood, sweat, and tears. And I can't tell you how proud I am to not only have achieved that, but also all the support throughout the years, especially now, even with this little this Star Wars cameo. It's just been a dream come true. And I can't tell you how appreciative I've been of everybody uh, with their support there. Um. Is is that what got you into the acting? That 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 adrenaline rush that you got on stage with with people cheering and, and clapping and possibly singing along? Without question. I mean, you feel so a lot. I was always a good singer. I got to a final callback with a, a Broadway show called Smokey Joe's Cafe. It was like an old review of all the old good fifty songs. It did really well, a national tour and all throughout the world as well as Broadway. But I was I was never great in terms of a singer. But as far as the adrenaline rush to where you can act out, you can feel alive, uh, it, it just has never, ever felt dull. There's never been a dull moment on set, whether you, you know I've got a small supporting role or whether it's something where I'm starring in a film. Uh, I've just always loved the challenge of it. And even the business itself, I've never made excuses. I've never, you know, I, I was up for Game of Thrones with Jason Momoa. You know, look, if you're not getting into the gym, you know, six hours a day, it's not going to happen. So well, as opposed to a lot of actors to where it's like, oh, it's got to be who you know. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. If you grind out any industry, good things will happen. And I can't tell you just how grateful I've been just for those little opportunities throughout my career. And I look forward to many more uh, throughout my journey here in Hollywood. Um, I can't remember the episode in the Mandalorian thinking whether or not you got killed. Did that happen or no? 
We were not killed. Uh, I cannot talk about season two, but the good news is, is people, just fans uh, all over the country, all over the world, have really taken uh, to this character, this look of this big, large bounty hunter designed by Brian Sype. I'm happy to say that I was pretty much, I want to say 90%, uh, we've got a 90% chance of a little bit more Gecko backstory being established in a new comic book by Marvel called Star Wars Bounty Hunters. The first issue came out last year. The second issue is going to be coming out March 25th. Um, the head uh, editor, uh, Ethan Sachs, as well as Paolo Villanelli, who has done the uh, the illustrations, uh, they've really taken to the character. They're waiting on a, approval for LFL, but uh, I've got a really good feeling about that in the ninth or tenth issue. You can be looking for Gecko. So he did not die. Uh, obviously, very grateful to John and Dave just for the opportunity we've received. But I'd like to believe that you're going to see a little bit more of Gecko uh, throughout canon and hopefully throughout, uh, whether that series or Kenobi, uh, hopefully it's uh, sometime or another. He did not die. So so we, we got a, we got a few good things to look forward to there in the future there. I think I would lose it if I saw you in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, oh. That would be a great. Well, yeah, well, I, I always say I'd love to see, you know, that story go towards, you know, the, the guild uh, uh, seeking out, you know, Vader. I mean, he obviously hired, uh, hired out bounty hunters uh, quite often, but also... Right. To, uh, to have a guild uh, go on a special mission where, unfortunately, they get their ass beat by, uh, by Kenobi, <laughs> but uh, I would love to be one of those guys, that's for sure. Yeah, that's great. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that works out. So, when I, you, you know, you, your journey reminded me a little bit of Ray Parks in how you got into Star Wars, mm-hmm. how you got into the Mandalorian, and and I don't know if you know Ray Parks' story of how he how that happened. Well, you're a big Star Wars nerd just like I am, so sure. I'm sure you do. But if for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Ray Park was uh, he knew I think Nick Gillard, and he was brought into makeup test. Um, for uh, for Darth Maul, and the next thing he knew, he's getting a call back to come in to play, and basically was the face of the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, you were called in to do makeup, and the next thing you know, you're in the first season and probably one of the best episodes of the entire season. Yeah, it was quite a lesson that year because I had two lessons of patience and also never getting overwhelmed in terms of cattle calls. I ended up winning $50,000 on a game show that had a cattle call. It was called Child Support with Fred Savage and Ricky Gervais. Uh, I was almost ready to walk out of that audition. And then also the advice that my agents have given me as I've been getting guest stars. I recently guest starred on 911 and Deputy and also NCIS Los Angeles is they want you to keep your value. Any business, they say, hey, you know, don't go for the little thing, you know, the little parts. If there's a film and it's shooting in Alabama for $150 a day, you need to pass on that, Dominic. You can't take those roles. You can't take those opportunities because you're not going to keep climbing. Well, my whole thing has been that East Coast mentality. You're from Jersey. I'm from New York. That mentality was, you know, from, from the immigrants of whether it's Asian, uh, Italian, Jewish, Puerto Rican, African American, you name it, in uh, the Irish as well. We just celebrated St. Patrick's Day is you got to grind it out and you take whatever you can. You don't have an ego. I was patient in this makeup chair for six hours. It was a simple makeup test. There were no promises of anything else. There was no talk of Star Wars other than our appreciation for sci-fi. Ultimately, I thought it was going to be another spinoff of a Marvel series because I previously did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I had previous prosthetic experience on um, Bright with Will Smith. I was one of the orcs. As well as uh, uh, I was with Schuler Hensley during Van Helsing. I was with Frankenstein during that time and Hugh Jackman for about two months. So I had previous experience, but really I can't say enough about just a positive attitude. Uh, you know, when they say jump, you say how high. He split my face in half uh, for about six hours. He did prosthetics on one side and makeup on the other. 
And I didn't actually know who Brian Sipe was at the time. If you go to BrianSipe.com, you will see what a legend this guy is in terms of the makeup world. He headed up Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. But two weeks later, I get called in for a project that was called Huckleberry. And I'm sitting there, and just in front of me, my hands went numb once I saw on the NDA agreement Lucasfilm, because then I started putting two and two together. Uh, The hands went even more numb. The heart started pounding when I saw a wardrobe rack with three different options saying Dominic Pace, Bounty Hunter. Uh, It was just beyond words, and I I can't tell you how grateful I am. So that's how you found out with the contract? Uh, With the contract, and then also, I at that time, I still thought maybe Lucasfilm had his hand in a a bunch of things, so I didn't necessarily think it may, you know, for all we know, it, it might not have been the Star Wars universe, but once I walked into the wardrobe room, and I saw any Star Wars nerd, any Star Wars fan, when you see when I saw the blueprints of some of the costume designs and kind of had like this kind of Tatooine feel to it. And then also seeing my wardrobe uh, where, you know, you have that bandolier, you've got, you know, I had these gauntlets, which I'm hoping will be into an action figure sooner than later. Uh, these really, really thick gauntlets. That's when it all kind of came to. And it was so funny. It was kind of like this Tom Hanks big moment where I don't know if you remember with him and John Lovitz at the office when he, yep. <laughs> He gets that paycheck, and everybody else is just like, yeah, just another day of work. And I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me right now? So (laughs) I was trying to keep my cool, and I actually had a moment on set, too, where they had like these two rows of these MIT grads working that amazing LED screen, which is going to change the face of Uh, the rest of our life. But there was a life-size land speeder uh, off to the side, along with a life-size IG-88, and there were a few moments there on set over those two weeks to where I needed to keep my composure because I was geeking out beyond belief there. And I just didn't want to get thrown off because you're, you know, even though I've done the business for plus 20 years, I think any Star Wars fan can relate that being on set within a Star Wars universe is just a second to none there. Uh, I, I cannot, I cannot speak to that experience, but I, I can imagine, you know, you did a really good job, uh, experiencing exactly what I would be thinking too. Like, holy crap, I cannot believe I'm here doing this. I mean, just walking into, um, that world, um, and and especially that I've seen a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for that led screen and that's freaking crazy. Absolutely. It's so insane. I always, I've been joking on a few podcasts now just saying that, you know, we always have that dream when we get that $100 million lottery ticket of, you know, perhaps getting a life-size Millennium Falcon or buying a Lamborghini with that money or what have you. But the new dream is obviously to have an extra bedroom in your mansion and to have this surround LED to where you can have maybe 10 to 15 channels to transport you. Because I'll tell you, it, you, you we know what IMAX looks like, but this tops it. I I don't know how crystal clear. I'm not too familiar with technology, but my vision is perfect. And when I saw Werner Herzog's lair and I'm looking at the wall, which is LED, and then I'm looking at the ceiling, which they put a little bit of drywall on there uh, to kind of fill in, you couldn't even tell the difference. I mean, it was so crystal clear that I'll tell you, I mean, it it really can transport you into any world. So I'm excited to see uh, season two in terms of where they're going to go next, because now uh, part of the budget is not really a factor because they can take you anywhere. Well, yeah, I mean, and also how successful, um, you know, regardless of your your love for Star Wars, I, I can probably say like most fans probably could say like the Mandalorian is one of the best things to happen since, you know, probably Rebels um, yeah. that happened. Um, yeah. It's definitely one of my new favorite shows. Yeah. Uh, so you, you said the makeup took about six hours. Now, I'm kind of claustrophobic mm-hmm. and I couldn't even imagine sitting there for two hours with all this, you know, stuff on you. Yeah. Uh, when when they were filming the actual show, the, the the parts that you were in or the day that you were in, did, were they able to 
cut that time in half? Did they did they uh, speed up the process? Oh, please forgive me. Yeah, uh, the six hours was during my initial makeup test just to test me out. Uh, but two hours was what, how long it took to get Gecko together. Um, Brian Sype was inspired by a Greenpeace project he did two years prior. So that's kind of where the nickname kind of came to be. Um, and it was a model. She must have been about 100 pounds. But I have a couple of pictures on some of the websites there to where you can see it was sort of this Gecko-like uh, model uh, that had two bumps and then also had that signature uh, paint patch in the middle uh, or had that color mark in the middle to where, you know, it's kind of like this little droplet of, of, uh, of different color than, than, you know, the, the humps and such. So initially there were humps. The whole joke has been, uh, I, I talked to, I had a screen test in front of John and Dave and Deborah Chow and also Brian and some of the other bounty hunters were kind of giggling and not that I had any say, but I did a little bit after I was approved by John and Dave. I went to Brian and I said, Brian, I said, can, can we, is there any way we can get rid of the humps, the gecko like humps? And if you can make them kind of horns, you know, not so much like a, um, uh, a twilight. Oh, not a twilight. What do you call it? A, um, what's, uh, Ray Park's, uh, uh, a species there? Is it a, a Zabrak? So yeah. I, yeah, not necessarily like a Zabrak, but if there's a way you can kind of make it, you know, a little bit more of like a horns. I said, I'm six foot four. And thankfully he made that adjustment just because the humps, I kind of look like Kevin Nealon from little Nicky. And I said, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd be promoting the character as much. Uh, when, if you ever saw the way that that looked for the first couple of screen tests on those days. So thankfully that Monday, when we got to film day one, uh, before I headed to set, I got to go on, uh, into the makeup trailer and I was so relieved to see he changed it a little bit and made them horns. Uh, and obviously I, I think we've got a pretty badass looking bounty hunter that fingers crossed. I'm praying if anybody knows anyone that has bro or pop, I've heard some rumors, but it would just be a dream come true, uh, to have this, this six foot four, uh, bounty hunter come to, come to be, uh, and immortalized within the action figure world. It just, I think would be the ultimate star Wars fans dream there on, on my end there. Oh, I mean, I mean, they've, they've made action fingers out of the Tonka droid. So, I mean, that's just basically a walking garbage can. So, I mean, there's no doubt that your character sh will eventually be made into an action figure and hopefully like a, you know, a black series, uh, Aww. figure. Uh, just be the dream come true. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I, my only concern is nowadays with so much oversaturation of different entertainment, especially season two, right around the corner, uh, that hopefully we won't get looked over. But uh, it would just be beyond uh, uh, beyond words. And I'll tell you one of the things I've been doing uh, over the past few months, I've been heavily involved in a lot of the charitable organizations as a thank you to John, Dave and, and Deborah and also Brian for this opportunity and also in honor and respect to all the fellow Star Wars fans who would have died for this opportunity. Um, I have been just so involved in terms of giving autographs out uh, gratis just for all their causes. They're so involved with their local communities, but it's just sort of a thank you to John and Dave uh, for just a dream come true. I, I, as much as, you know, we want more. I mean, heck, yesterday the news broke where even there's no guarantee for Ashley Eckstein, you know, in terms of uh, whether you get called back or you, you get extension on your character and such. But I think just honestly, just to, to have this once in a lifetime opportunity was just beyond words. And I, I'm forever grateful to, to all of them for that. Now, because you're a big Star Wars nerd like I am, I, I did see your footage on Entertainment Tonight where you have collections and stuff like that. Now, you, you're talking about, you know, being in front of there with Dave and, 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 uh, uh, and John. Is it hard for you, especially Filoni up until this point, is it hard for you to just sit there and try to be as professional as possible and not just like lose your shit thinking, oh my God, there's Dave Filoni? 
<laughs> you know, there's John Favreau of Iron Man. You know what I mean? Like, is is it hard to like? You got to pinch yourself. Like, what what is that like when you're just standing there in 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 front of these people who are just nerd and geek gods? Yeah. Well, ironically, yes and no, because the greatest respect you can give to people that you admire, that you have to understand, they have a 100 plus million dollar budget on their shoulders. So the one thing you would want to do is say, if there was a Navy captain or if there was a you know, a captain of your submarine, you know, the greatest compliment that you can give to them is to just be on point, you know, so it's getting the wardrobe and, and getting that makeup on. And there is no discussion and talking when the directors are talking the first AD and the second AD. So it was more of a respect. Um, and you can you almost hear a pin drop. I was on set with Denzel Washington a couple of times. I just had a couple of little featured bits in Robin Israel and the siege, you know, years prior. But it's the same level of respect to where even though you're kind of geeking out at the same time, the greatest respect you can give to them is to do whatever is told of you. And at that time, especially if you're just a side character or a creature, um, to just keep quiet <laughs> and, and ultimately just enjoy the experience. Now, I will say day one, um, walking into the cantina, which was my first playset, and the fact that George Lucas was there on day one, on John Favreau's birthday, and they're talking over the history of Mandalorians, and I'm sitting there as this one-of-a-kind character within his universe. It was like, you know, Walt Disney, like walking on the set of Mary Poppins, you know, to where, or, or you know, whatever. Uh, it, it just was that equivalent. Uh, it, it just was uh, definitely to a point to where I was quiet within my own thoughts. Um, but at the same time, again, the greatest respect when I you know work on set, I had the privilege of working with an Italian-American idol of mine, uh, or I mean somebody that I idolized for years, Chess Palminteri. The greatest respect, again, is just the fact that you, you know, when they say jump, you say how high, and that's it. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately that's it. You don't, you don't want to interfere with their mojo, especially when you're dealing with a major league budget of that size. You know, it, it just... It's like a military where I, I imagine you just don't want to be the last one uh, left behind, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, there's that Star Wars nerd inside of you that can't probably sleep the day after or that night where you're just like, I cannot believe I just did that. I, I cannot I, believe I just did that. A couple of uh, geeked out moments for sure was uh, a a table, a long table full of about 20 to 30 blasters where I got to pick out my own bounty hunter blaster. I picked the biggest one there. Uh, it just was remade by somebody from Northern California, Clint Williams of Sacramento, uh, who I, I'm so grateful for. He uh, recreated uh, the prop replica. And then also at the same time, when you perform, your peripheral vision starts narrowing. And to have that standoff with Mando during the uh, episode three on Navarro, all of a sudden, the world started escaping, and I'm having my blaster pointed at Mando, not knowing what baby it was, by the way. I thought it was either Ray, Poe, or Finn. I thought it was a backstory for them. They did not tell us. Um, those moments, and then also my back to the camera in the cantina, where you know the cameras weren't around, and all of a sudden you're creating sort of this world for yourself as a performer. Uh, it definitely was geeking out beyond belief more than any other set I've been on in 20-plus years, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. I mean... I mean, that's just like a dream thing. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, like, you know, as again, being a huge Star Wars nerd, you, you know, like somebody like Mark Hamill is just like us and he just happened to get hired to play, you know, the most famous farm boy ever. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like just to, I, I, I don't think I've ever come close to a Star Wars set. I think the closest I've come to a Star Wars set is probably interviewing somebody like yourself. Oh. <laughs> it's probably it, oh. but it, it just amazing. Like, and, and and I really don't think they're 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 
is any doubt in my mind that this character and most probably some of the other bounty hunters will probably get made into an action figure. Again, there's a there's a garbage there's a walking garbage can that's an action figure, which I'm sure you have because I have that character. I I have Tonk too somewhere. Um, uh, gonk or whatever Tonk. Yeah. Gonk, right? Gonk, yeah, Gonk. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, the Gonk droid. Yeah, but that's basically like the 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 um the the garbage can from like back in the 1980s or, or 1970s, the garbage can from McDonald's. I think it was. Yeah, we saw. He was on the sand crawler. Exactly. No, absolutely. That is our hope. Uh, that's our dream. Uh, you know, again, it's just, you know, when you're not given a, you know, a, a recurring contract, you just never know. But, uh, but obviously we're holding our breath, just like I was holding my breath on set, which by the way, I'm hoping they put out an extended version of every episode of season one, just because that battle scene, there was some really good back and forth between Mando and I in terms of uh, fire exchange. And, uh, you know, but ultimately, like I said, I think just the ultimate Star Wars dream is to have, whether it's a Lego Black Series pop or Hasbro, that one of them will step up. I, I know that, you know, there's illustrations left and right all over the Internet right now of my character. Uh, and obviously that's the prayer and the hope uh, for for moving forward here. So we'll see what happens. But obviously excited about the, this potential comic book and uh, obviously excited about where things might uh, head in the future there. It's definitely a unique looking bounty hunter. I mean, it, it, it's it's uh, there's nothing that kind of resembles that character at all. And it's very unique. And, and you know, like you said, you're you're a big guy, you're a tall guy. Yeah. So that kind of stands out too. And then you got the, you know, the tubes coming out the side. It, it's, it, it's a very unique bounty hunter and a very cool looking bounty hunter, which, you know, obviously that's a huge thing for Star Wars collectors too. So I, again, like I, I, I really don't have, even if I didn't know who you were and yeah. I didn't, and I'm not talking to you now, mm-hmm. I would think they would make a toy out of that just because it looks so cool. Oh, we are so hopeful. We are really hopeful. And like I said, the, the, the greatest thing about this is being a small ambassador right now for the greater good. I've been in touch with a kid from Make-A-Wish. We were supposed to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, early April. But the beautiful thing that I've been noticing throughout the conventions is two things. Number one, the involvement that the 501st uh, Legion, the Mandalorian Mercs, the uh, Rebel Legion, and, and countless other uh, uh, Star Wars groups are doing in terms of imp- the way that they're impacting their communities in a positive way has just been uh, just amazing, incredibly inspiring to me, because these have been my first, and throughout my career, my first convention tour. So it's just been so inspiring, not to mention, at the Comic-Cons, the one thing that's also been so inspiring are all of these fans with the cosplayers, and also just their own uniqueness, finding their own two feet, not caring what other people think about, uh, think about them. I can't tell you how grateful I am to actually be exposed to that in the front lines, because ultimately, to me... Taking this journey as an actor was very bold. A lot of my friends, they have big houses up in northern Westchester County now. And the fact that I had to make that decision when I was very young, and and a lot of kids, sometimes you don't want to go with the norm. You say, hey, you know what? I want to do this. I want to go overseas, and I want to you know, help with the Peace Corps. Who knows? But the fact that for people who genuinely think on their own two feet, and even creatively, in terms of I'm going to wear, I'm going to look the way that I want to. And you know what? I'm 100% confident with that. I don't care if I'm judged. I don't care if people think this way or that way. It's the same mentality that I've had to hold true as an actor, not only to find my own inner self as an artist, but also career-wise to where you need to make those leaps to where you don't have a guarantee of what work is going to come from week to week. So I can't tell you how much I feed off of that energy and how grateful I was, and hopefully that we're going to nip this in the bud within the next 30, 60 days so I can continue touring 
with the conventions, uh, God willing, uh, just to continue to reach out to these fans because I can't tell you how appreciative I am. Not only uh, how much support they've shown me, even on my website over the last couple of days with my, you know everything going on, uh, just in terms of just the support, buying this or buying a little autograph or a piece of merch, uh, but just ultimately just as a whole, this Star Wars community, actors have been like, you know, sometimes, hey, maybe you should shy away. It's going to hurt your career or it's going to pigeonhole you. I've been embracing it 110 percent just as a, as a lifelong Star Wars fan. It's it's been quite an amazing experience. Have you uh, in any of these conventions seen a, a gecko cosplay yet? Uh, I've had some good news that just came on my page, uh, Lair of the Gecko, L-A-I-R of the Gecko on Facebook that a gentleman actually recreated my blaster. So I think it's it's around the corner. Um, the 501st has not made it official yet. I'm hoping they will pretty soon. Uh, it, the only concern is just they, they think they need to get X amount of accurate screenshots. And, I mean, we've, we've got a few here and there, but it's not anything that was, like, so front row center uh, necessarily. But I, I think it's right around the corner because a guy actually just posted that he recreated my blaster. So I think the prosthetic is going to come next. And I am going to geek out more than this guy is going to geek out. <laughs> uh, I, there is a guy from Illinois, which I was really, like, taken back. But he wants to get a gecko tattoo on his body. Uh, so that was really – I was really impressed with uh, hearing that. So we'll see what happens. But like I said, for me, it, it's just – as a lifelong fan, I'm just beyond flattered. And uh, I, I'm excited at things to come. And, and also, most importantly, the interaction with all the fans there. Now you you've been collecting for a long time, I think, right? And so, w- what was it about you know Star Wars or the collecting itself? Is is that the only thing that you collect? Do you collect anything else? Uh, you know, I enjoy a few legendary uh, uh, autographs. There's a website that I really enjoy where I kind of low bid. Uh, probably like once a week on one thing or another and end up picking them off. Sometimes I'll pay them forward to some of the charitable organizations opposed to financial. I'll donate, you know, an autograph for my collection. But pristineauction.com, not to give just a, a, a shameless plug to them, they've been absolutely amazing in terms of their affordable and also legitimate autographs. So I collect those actually, but really the original vintage and ultimately, when the salary goes up a little bit, the one thing I did not save, and I was just a little bit older, I was starting to get into junior high school, uh, and, you know, I didn't know if anything was going to co- uh, come to fruition after Return of the Jedi, is that 1985 series of those 17 figures. I do not own one of those, but ultimately, I would love, before they become more expensive, uh, to, to, to tr- start chipping away at those 17 figures, because I have the original 79, and I would love even loose to have, you know, a yak face or a prune face or the Han Solo and Carbonite figure on uh, Lando. Um, I always uh, have been have found interest in that uh, uh, little series, but unfortunately, they're so out. Uh, you know, they're they're priced out that uh, you know if they were about a hundred dollars or so, I'd, I'd I'd bite. But uh, much respect to those who collect those, as well as that Lego Death Star. My God, that's uh, eight hundred dollars. I, I that's the other thing I can't get myself to jump at there as well. It's a that's oh, a little- yeah that. A little rich than my for my blood there. That uh, Super Star Destroyer, I think it was a uh, Vader ship. Um, uh, the Lego one was like ju- it's like two or three thousand dollars right now. Yeah, um, to try to find it. Um, have you been to uh, Rancho Obi Wan? No, I have not heard of it, but I just reached out to them um, in terms of because I know they're heavily involved in community. I wanted to give them a handful of eight by ten autographs uh, just in case they ever whatever raffles they've been doing. However, the next time I'm up in San Francisco, I'm, I'm planning to become a member because uh, I would love nothing more than to do that tour up there. It, it seems absolutely amazing, and the head guy seems like uh, just like one of us there. So it would be a privilege to actually see that collection. Yeah, he's he's amazing. We we took the tour. 
I think in our first or second year, and he was nice enough to podcast with us afterwards. And oh my God, that, that tour, I don't know how he does it, but he only does like, I think one, maybe two tours a day. Mm-hmm. And there is so, as a collector and a Star Wars nerd, it is ridiculous how much stuff he has. I mean, he, and he talks for like five or six hours. Yeah. And it's an amazing tour. And there's stuff that you don't even see. Like there's stuff that you walk down the walkway. And if you actually look behind the shelves, there's another section behind the curtain that, that is not even part of the, uh, part of the tour. Like I I saw all these other things. I was like, holy crap, look at all this other stuff. That's not part of it. And I think like they're, they're starting to build a cantina in there in the back too. The last time I, I I was there. So yeah, it's definitely worth it as a Star Wars fan. I mean, there's so much stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. I love all that. And like I said, along with the led screen, if I ever win the lotto is to get a life-size Millennium Falcon, you say the cantina, but I'd love to get a man cave in the back of the Falcon where I've got my led television, I've got my bar and uh, the whole, all the, the the little knobs and everything else, and of course, uh, you know, the whole Falcon there, and and I'd, I'd love to open it up for the kids and everybody else on Saturdays and Sundays. There, it would be pretty uh, pretty special. One of these days. Look, if you really like this show and it tickles your nerd spot, please review the show on iTunes and Facebook. It'll help getting the show sponsors and allow the show to keep putting out daily and weekly content. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Yeah, that would that would be great. So, being from the East Coast, what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite sports teams on the East? Uh, do you still have those East Coast love? Yes, yes. Uh, New York Mets, uh, tried and true. Unfortunately, you know, has not been a great. Uh, oh boy, since '86, what do we got? Thirty-five years uh, has not been a, a, that great of a run uh, since then. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. For my '86 Mets, Gary Carter, God rest his soul. It, football was a very interesting thing that happened because football came to me in the '80s. To where I was 9 and 10 years old, but you had the 85 Bears. When I saw that music video, I said, these guys are the coolest guys on earth. Then you've got the 86 Giants winning. So, I, you know, kind of leaning towards the G-Men being a New York fan. But then you've got Montana and Rice and you've got Marino. So I hate to say that I'm kind of sloppy in terms of football where, I, I, you know, you get that level of disrespect because it's like I never found a team early 90s. You know, it was fun to watch the Cowboys and play with them in Madden. But tried and true, New York, New York Mets. Um, that's always been the team, and I wish I can say the Knicks, but they've been so uninteresting since 1995 when Ewing and Starks that it's been really hard to get involved with NBA. Of course, you know, always rooted out here for Kobe and Shaq, but uh, at the same time, uh, baseball has just always been my passion, my blood, and New York Mets all the way. Uh, I can feel your pain as a Mets fan. I'm an actual Jets fan, and uh, at least the Mets have actually made it to the World Series a couple times since '86. Okay. So, the, so you guys have been in the World Series, I think, twice since 86. Um, we've only sniffed the Super Bowl uh, two times uh, in my lifetime since then. So um, not 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 great being a, a Jets fan, but um, sometimes it's not great being a Mets fan either. I think it's all about ownership. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, I'd like to switch a little bit and talk about Superstore because it is one of my favorite shows. Oh, wow. And um, – did you hear that uh, American uh, America Ferrari is is leaving the show? No, I didn't. I was just so disappointed. I've kind of, you know, lost track of everything. I just was so heartbroken that I had, you know, it's so funny. Anytime, you know, if this industry tells you if you're on vacation, which I've had a, a countless times, 
once the business says, hey, we need you here Tuesday, you have to drop everything. And the frustrating part of that is just the fact that I would have loved to have recurred on that show for a longer time. But the thing is, is that you know, when you get those opportunities, I booked a really gr- a great short film in off the coast of Spain. It was an island called Mallorca, where I was starring with Guy Ritchie's uh, production crew in this film called The Painters. And it was so thought-provoking, this great 13-minute short film, which has kind of made the festival rounds. But they needed me for that week. And unfortunately, after that, I, it's just sometimes, even with, like with Game of Thrones, even though... I understand why you don't get the, you know, why I didn't get the part, but at the same time, it's hard not to be salty sometimes. So I've certainly, I've, I've kind of faded off in terms of interest, but good for her. I mean, she, she's got a tremendous amount of talent. She directed one of my episodes. So I'm sure she's going on to bigger and better in terms of producing and directing and doing more, um, involved, uh, filming with, I'm sure, uh, things that are close to her heart, uh, projects that are close to her heart. Um, the people in that show seem like, you know, especially, um, the main cast seem really fun to be around. It, it, I, I did see a picture of you in America on, on I think Instagram or or on your Facebook. Yeah. Uh, it, did uh, are they just as you know? Are they like that in real life? Absolutely. So down to earth. Ben Feldman, America. Um, uh, Nico Santos. There. Uh, it really felt like family. I felt that also with Navy NCIS with Mark Harmon uh, and that entire cast as well. I remember working on it for a week back in 2005 and the most it's the most frustrating thing as a character actor because you just want to stay with them and not only that you know pay off your house within 13 weeks too that wouldn't be too bad but uh, it, it yes it felt exactly like that to where you didn't feel like you were coming to work and the other thing too i always love you know being an italian east coaster i am is the catering so the catering was amazing every day and oh god i didn't want to leave but uh like i said you know when you're a character actor I've been so fortunate to work, but at the same time, uh, you know, getting that series regular is, is a really hard prize to win in this town. I, I like to believe we're getting closer with almost close to 100 uh, television credits to prove, you know, our consistency. But at the same time, you just have to be appreciative in terms of what uh, the, the business hands you there. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I really, if anybody's, you know, a big fan of the show, go back and, and watch Dominic's uh, two episodes. I think it was episode three or four. And then it was uh, Mateo's leave, and I think it's episode yeah. seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, season two, uh, Mateo's last day, and then also election there as well. Right. It's called the election, right? And uh, the two part. What I <laughs> when you were talking to Ben, I think it was in the election episode when he was trying to convince you, mm-hmm. and you you pull out the you pull out the New York Italian accent. Yes, I was like, okay, this this is funny, and I was that's the that's the thing that like these type of shows like The Office, Parks and Rec, things like that. These type of shows where they're very very unique and take a different spin on things. Like even um, a show like Chuck when they were just in uh, the Buy More, yeah. like those those interactions. If you've ever worked in retail, like those things are funny as hell. Yeah, and the way that you were. It just reminded me of like what warehouse workers were. And I was really surprised that a show like Superstore doesn't take more from the warehouse stuff because the warehouse guys, in my experience, were some of the funnier guys, even in real life. Yeah. I mean, if we can talk candidly for a second, I mean, it's just to a point now to where you just never know. I'm not saying this is the reason, but sometimes, you know, when you look, I, I never minded, you know, you, we talked about the Jersey Shore, you know, uh, when, you know, off the air and such, uh, you know, it's like, look, at the same time, you know, you're Italian American, I'm so proud to be Italian American, no matter what culture you're from, we're proud, but we have cultural differences, you know, it's not racist, 
it's nothing offensive about it, but we have cultural differences and, and that's okay. We appreciate each other. But I love the fact that, the, you know, there, you know, you can play a character from back east. And now I just feel like with certain, you know, cultures and et cetera, I feel like sometimes it gets a little too sensitive to where there's a fine line between cultural and, and people thinking it's offensive. But to be an Italian American East Coaster, I think is, is hilarious. And I think it's a lot of fun. And, and, you know, I don't mind necessarily uh, st- stepping into that cliche throughout my career here and there. I know, you know, I've got a lot of Russian friends where, of course, they've got to play a little bit of the stereotype and, the you know, my Irish friends and such. But it's getting to a point now to where, unfortunately, writers for network have to be so careful in terms of what they write about to where sometimes it's just real life. I mean, that's why I love Tarantino. I love Scorsese because a lot of times they just, they're, they, they don't care about, you know, the, the political correctness sometimes, so to speak. And for me, it coming from the East Coast, I view it the same way because it's never about any hatred of, of any kind, but it's just about the fact that we've had these sort of cultural personalities, which to me are, are essentially entertaining and there's nothing offensive about it. So I hope they do too. I, I really agree with you. And hopefully, you know, the, the leash kind of loosens here in terms of these newer generations to where sometimes they find things that are offensive to where that was just the way that we are. It's, there's nothing, you know, really negative about it. But sometimes the network gets one complaint from one person or another, and it's like they have to shut it down because, God forbid, they get the, that, that, that label on them, you know? Well, I, I didn't, you know, watching, watching. actually, ironically, your character was named Dom. Yeah. Um, I, uh, did, they name it, did they name that character Dom after they hired you, or that was always the name? Um, they hired me uh, where I didn't have a name the first uh, car- the first time, and then yeah, they just went with Dom. They went with you know Italian American. Yeah, yeah, they went with Dom, and uh, yeah, of course they. And it's funny that wasn't the last time uh, that happened. I the first time actually uh, was uh, a show called Happy Endings on ABC where they named the restaurant after me called uh, uh, Dom, and it was called Little Doms, and the restaurant actually in uh, in in the in the show was called Big Doms. There's a restaurant here on the east side in East Hollywood called Little Dom. So that's where they got it from. But but they, they stuck with it. Like I said, you know, being being kind of that Italian-American character uh, is, is great. And I, I embrace it in every way. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think Dom in, in Superstore was uh, stereotypical. I just thought what was funny is the, the when when you started talking, I think, in the second episode when Mateo was trying to talk to you about uh about giving him a sticker, uh, I think the I voted sticker mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, and uh, the interaction that you had with Mateo was really good too, where it didn't seem like a stereotypical, you know, Italian warehouse person. It just, you just had an Italian accent or a New York accent, I should say. Yeah. It was more of a New York accent. So I thought that was pretty interesting that you had a New York accent. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, where does the show take place again? St. Louis or Missouri or something like that? St. Louis. And like I said, there's a lot of transplants. And also there's a lot of Italian American, uh, in that, in their neighborhood. That goes back. I think they have an Italian, a little Italy section in, uh, St. Louis there. I believe they do. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that show's great. So anybody who hasn't watched it, uh, go watch it. And it, it's it's interesting how they've they've changed the show in the later seasons. But uh, I was really when I saw you when I looked at your uh, IMDb page and then I watched your episodes. I was wondering why you weren't there for the unionization episodes, like towards the uh, last season and a little bit of this season, where I thought like your character would have been really funny during them trying to unionize or them getting fired and stuff like that. I thought that would have been pretty funny where like your character got pissed off at at Ben's character. Yeah, I really, it broke the chain. I I don't know if they rehired somebody I never saw 
they wanted me back for this one, uh, another episode in season two. And because I couldn't make it, it just broke the chain. So I think, unfortunately, with consistency, I, I don't think they wanted to shock the audience with, oh, my God, where he, where's he been for three seasons? You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. So ultimately, yeah. that would have been amazing. But and, and it totally would have fit, I'm sure. It's just I think that's what ended up transpiring, unfortunately, off camera. But it's totally fine. I mean, like I said, it's, it, you know, in this business, it, you just kind of roll with the punches and, you know, some days you're going to win, and then other days you just have to throw your hands up. Otherwise, you drive yourself crazy. Right. So um, you had started a uh, a, a, ch- a charity um, in your grandfather's name, William uh, Tagley Ferry. Is that how I is that cr- pronounced correctly? That is correct. Yes. Okay. He was a member of the Fourth Infantry and one of the first soldiers to land on Normandy Beach on D Day, which is freaking amazing. Yeah. And you started this. Uh, in his honor in Austining, uh, New York. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the grant and, and, you know, what it's about and, and what it represents to you? Absolutely. Um, Austining, New York, again, is a diverse community, a middle class. Uh, again, they did not give me any handouts, the parents, teachers, and coaches. And because of that, it set my mentality, my work ethic, my entire life. I can't tell you how appreciative I have been to so many members of that community of all ethnicities and genders and such. Uh, my grandfather was a, a huge uh, cornerstone of my upbringing because it was never uh, anything in terms of, of expecting life to hand you uh, you know, just give you handouts in any way, shape, or form. When they came from that depression, when they came from World War II, and you saw the smile on his face in his 60s and 70s to be appreciative and grateful to be an American, uh, I can't tell you how much that inspired me throughout my life. So for me, as much as we all want to be A-listers, as much as we all want to make six figures and, and have that series regular and have a million-dollar mansion in the hills, we have to take a step back as Americans and understand how appreciative we are and we, how appreciative we should be to how much that we, we have. And even during this time now, to understand and to respect, I hate that terminology now with the millennials where they say, okay, boomer. Well, though that boomer generation is some of the hardworking Americans that we have in this entire country. So you're disrespecting that and you're disrespecting that ideology in terms of that work ethic. And that's something that I've always taken a lot of pride in to be like the older generations. I wanted to pay it forward because when I was got out of high school, I never had anybody to guide me down in New York City, to show me the way, to give me sort of a step up and say, hey, listen, let me introduce you to this agent, to this cast director. So to have somebody in their corner so that they know that they were inspired by maybe somebody who said, hey, listen, it's not always this dog-eat-dog world to where everyone's just looking out for themselves. But the fact that I can pay it forward to show again, just like with John and Dave, Uh, my appreciation of how lucky I am, how fortunate I am to be healthy, to have a beautiful family, and at the same time to even just achieve the success that I have. It's just sort of my gesture to show all of that within a grant, Uh, and I've done it in many different ways. I've hired production assistants. I did a horror film with Tyler Maine a couple of years ago called Psychosis. I hired some local um, artists from my area, and then also I've gone back for career day as well to talk to the kids uh, as well as be involved in that $500 grant. Uh, in honor of my grandfather. So I, I have a lot of gratitude towards that town, uh, and they've been so supportive, even with two or three lines on television, uh, which often happens. Uh, they've always been in my corner, and as I have for them uh, for so many years. Uh, what's the What's the full official name of the grant? Uh, the William Tagliaferri Grant, and that is uh, in honor for an Austining high school uh, senior who plans to go on to pursue the arts. 
Nice. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug? We're going to finish up in a little bit. I just want to make sure that you're able to plug whatever you want to plug uh, on, on the show. Absolutely. Um, over the last 60 days, over the next 60 days, I had to cancel all appearances. Uh, my website, geckothebountyhunter.com, G-E-K-K-O, thebountyhunter.com. I slashed everything in half, 50% off. So now's a great time. I appreciate everyone's support, but I, I slashed all the merchandise. I've got Beskar. I've got uh, um, uh, tracking fobs. I've got uh, uh, bounty hunter pucks, and then also all different kinds of illustrations of Gecko. Uh, I've got patches, and then also my beautiful challenge coin. Everything is half price, and uh, appreciate everyone's support. And also, of course, Dominic Pace on uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, appreciate everyone's support, I, and as I will certainly follow you in your endeavors as well. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, one question I forgot to ask you is, um, I think you have, you have boys, right? You have two, two boys. That is correct. Yes. Do, are they Star Wars fans too? And did they kind of like lose it when you got hired as Star Wars or you couldn't even tell them? Um, no, I told them. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, they've been a little bit numb to it growing up in Hollywood. I think Kristen Bell's kids go to my youngest son's school. So it's hard you know, if you take somebody from the Midwest, I had a, a kid ask, he's like, do you people follow you around in Hollywood? And the answer is no. So it's kind of like with my kids, too, to where they also see a lot of the behind the scenes of the blue collar working and such. So they never necessarily have been starstruck. But obviously, I got to share this really priceless moment when I got to see myself in the trailer, knowing that I would be official in the Star Wars universe. And I, I got to share that with my two sons at home when I saw it on YouTube for the first time. And that was a, just a really special moment for the three of us. We kind of hugged each other. Uh, and it was just a really special father-son moment in terms of, you know, having my childhood dream come true. And to be able to share that with my kids really meant a lot there. Yeah, that's so awesome. Uh, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would love – I, I try to share any kind of nerd and geek things that they love that I get to do through this, like, little rinky-dink podcast too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can understand what it would be like um, to share that with uh, with your kids to mean something as big as Star Wars. Um, so we're going we're gonna to finish up here with what we call uh, the big finish, and it's three questions that every single one of our guests get. It's because it's, it's just interesting to see how – um, how all the different answers are to the same question. So it's three, que- uh, it's three questions and there's follow-up questions for each one. So the first question, which I probably already know from Internet Stalking You, what is your all-time favorite character? Uh, Han Solo. Han Solo. And I mean, it's a tie, believe it or not. I always say a tie between Han Solo and Boba Fett just because Boba Fett was the coolest toy any kid could own, you know, with a rocket jetpack as a kid uh, and the coolest uh, uniform, you know, outfit uh, you could imagine. But I loved Han Solo. I loved his alpha. I want to see more alpha males come back. Look, strong women deserve to be in society. They deserve their equal share. But that does not mean we emasculate men in society either. And Harrison Ford was a tremendously uh, strong male figure, not only for myself, but also for my kids. And I want to see more of that. What would uh, you get Han Solo as a birthday gift? Oh, boy. I mean, it'd have to be a drink because, I mean, he, like I said, he, he just breeds testosterone there. So <laughs> <laughs> it would be some kind of – it wouldn't be one of those foo-foo drinks. It would be like a, a shot of uh, Dewar's or something. That's it. <laughs> what uh, – okay, next question is what uh, What are you watching as far as TV shows uh, are? Like what is your go-to or you have to watch it immediately when it becomes live on Hulu or it's on your DVR or you watch it live? That's a great question. Actually, right now I'm going back with my kids. We're watching – I've been doing so many podcasts. I've been really uh, trying to get into Clone Wars and uh, Rebels. 
uh, just because I really want to just have a whole uh, kind of just an entire knowledge on the entire universe there. And, and I never really ultimately got into Clone Wars. So I'm on season uh, three right now, right in the middle of season three. So that's kind of been the uh, the flavor of the month there. Okay. Um, if let's see somebody from if if Ahsoka uh, was on Friends, you've seen Friends, right? The TV show Friends. Yeah. Um, who would Ahsoka be dating on Friends? Oh, God. Oh, man. That is a good question. Oh, God. They're all kind of dorky. <laughs> I think she'd be heading out the back door and going for a real a real guy because she's, you know, you got to be a strong man to stand up to Ahsoka there. I think they all kind of seem a little a little too whiny, all three of them there. <laughs> so probably somebody from a different show. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, that, that, see, that's why we ask these questions because that's never been done before, what you just said. <laughs> Nobody's ever said nobody on that show because of who Ahsoka is. And that kind of actually makes sense. Yeah. Um, cause it definitely would not be Ross or Chandler and Joey might stand a chance, but I think he's too dumb. Exactly. Uh, uh, for Ahsoka. Um, okay. Last question is top three movies of all time. Okay. Well, we've got Empire Strikes Back without question. Um, uh, I loved, uh, Usual Suspects. I just love the whole hook of that towards the end. And um, I, I got to throw in something with Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, we could just say there will be blood because this man goes above and beyond the performance, the call of duty as a performer, as an actor. I just literally, you know, there's certain movies that you just, it, it, it doesn't even matter. There's a movie that he did three years ago. It's called The Phantom Threat. For any other actor, including myself, would be the most boring movie you could ever watch if it was not Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> and that just proves the point that you can watch him watch paint dry and still be entertained. And this movie, The Phantom Threat, is absolutely, completely, you know, I mean, you're completely drawn in from start to finish just because of Daniel Day-Lewis. So I would say there will be blood only because watching him is a whole different experience in and of itself due to his talent. All right, so uh, thank you again, Dominic, for for taking the time uh, uh, twice today to, to to talk to me and and be on the show. Now, there's one last thing I want you to do, and hopefully we can do this without uh, messing up the recording. So on the show, anytime we get a guest on the show that we're interviewing for the first time, we always um, give them a gift. So what I need you to do now is is carefully open a browser without shutting down what we're doing here, and sign into your email uh, account. Yeah. And I sent you something through email, and, and that's the gift from, from the show. <laughs> so right now. We're just, we're, yeah, do it right now. We're just going to wait uh, yeah. uh, for it. I see and, it. Uh, <laughs> you got it? Yes. Okay. So being that it's a podcast, you're going to have to uh, describe. What, oh, so a little background. If you saw you know, the logo there, um, we I, I did a stick figure because I can't draw, and I thought it was always funny to do stick figures. Yeah. And then this kind of just became a thing where all of our guests get stick figures yeah. uh, to to mimic kind of what the logo is for the show. So if you can describe what you're you're looking at, I'm looking at all three characters: myself, Boba, and Han Solo in one, <laughs> more or less, more or less. Yeah, I would. And say, I got to. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and then also, I think you throw in a little bit of me because we don't have the humps. We just have a bald head. So we've got four representations uh, here. We're all within one stick drawing of Boba, Han Solo. We've got my bandolier, and then we've got my mask, and then also bald head. Uh, uh, but, yeah, it, absolutely amazing. 
thank you. And, and thank you, by the way, for shaving your head because doing hair is one of the most difficult things on a stick figure <laughs> yes. for me. Yes. I thought you were going to say, cause you want to cosplay me. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're excited to cosplay uh, gecko there pretty soon. Yeah. The, you were, I think, uh, another first is that you might be the first bald stick figure that I had to do. Oh, I love it. I am honored beyond belief. Thank you. All right, so we're going to sign off here. Uh, let's see, that was episode 246. Dom, thank you again of Chew on This, a Nourish United podcast. Later. Terrific. Thank you so much. <laughs>